Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan. And we are coming to you on Monday, November 1st. This is the last episode of this podcast that will be during the 2021 MLB season. By the time we talk to you next, there will be a new World Series champion, either the Atlanta Braves, who currently hold a 3-2 lead over the Astros, or the Astros. Those are the two options. So this is it. Uh, Obviously, by the time we talk next, you know, I don't expect too much to be going on, but we will be in the offseason for everybody. It will be, uh, you know, turning the page and getting ready for 2022 and saying goodbye to 2021. So we have that to look forward to. The Cubs have more hires from outside of the organization for us to talk about. And we want to touch on uh, one particular name that we did not have time to uh, go over with Brian Smith of Bleacher Nation. Last week, if you missed that episode, check it out. We went through a ton of prospect names and overall stuff on the Cubs system. But Brendan, I, I, I would be remiss if we we're not going to record this on on Tuesday, but I, I would be remiss if you and I did not discuss the fact that of course today is November first. Uh, when you guys listen to this, it will likely be November second, and that just so happens to be the fifth anniversary of when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Won the World Series, Corey? Yes. What are you doing to celebrate? For me, I'm going to be wearing my Cubs World Series jersey, you know, in in Los Angeles, doing what I need to do. But what are you doing? I probably tweeting obnoxiously. Yeah, probably <laughs> lots tweeting. of memes. Yeah, yeah, lots of memes, videos, um, feigning ignorance that I forgot that it happened, things like that. Maybe I'll watch some of it. I think we've discussed this before. It's still kind of hard for me to watch most of that game, or at least the game seven in its entirety. Right? Like I can have you watch done that? Maybe like once or twice. See, you don't even know if you remember. Like, yeah, you're the same way as I am. Like, I can't, I can't do it. I'll watch the highlights, but sitting there, it's just like, ugh, it's like I can't relive most of this. You right. Know? Well, and it just it it that was such a particular experience, right? The whole thing, but especially Game Seven and the emotion involved. It it just is hard for me to watch now, like casually, right? Like just like <laughs> right. sitting on my couch, like rewatching it like oh hey you know this is fun like it it just it brings back so much it's just not a casual experience at this point yeah it's like watching the top of the tent it's like oh, of course they go up and you have Jason Hayward come up and he just has like a god-awful at best like oh like 
I, it brings me back that that pain of that type of a of a, at bat. It's too much for me. I can't do it. I'd rather watch the highlights, move on. That's it. Right. Well, and and you know, just like that whole period was so emotional. Like you know, you think of like everybody writing on the brick wall and chalk with the names of their their relatives and and people who were no longer around to witness it and stuff like that. And just the special feeling that was going on after they won. It's just hard to watch that game because it's it, a lot of it is good emotions right but it's just a lot of emotions and it just is not necessarily um an easy way to spend an evening I guess going through all of that and and thinking about all of that and and, and reliving all of that but I I do love watching the highlights um I certainly love watching the highlights Zobrist uh, Montero, you know, John Lester mm. coming in out of the bullpen, of course. So of course. I, I do enjoy a lot of that. But in terms of like sitting down and watching, I don't, you know, without the rain delay, what is it like, you know, probably like four hours or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I maybe have done that once or twice. Yeah. Oh, that entire playoff run, man, is just exhausting from start to finish. Absolutely absolutely exhausting it's weird it's been five years i was thinking about that the other day it's like, like does that wow, feel, do you like, mean do you mean that that feels long or short i i mean i don't know how i feel about it i feel as if like of course a lot has happened in in that five year span but it's it's weird that we're in this new phase right like in the moment when they won that world series like part of me of course, you win the World Series, you're so happy. But part of me is like, oh my God, like what's next? Like you think that you're going to keep doing it year in and year out. And they were competitive. But it's weird to be beyond that phase because you geared up emotionally, even when Theo was signed for that moment. And you never, at least I never anticipated what would be next. Now we're in that point right now. It's just a weird transition phase for me. Yeah, no, I uh, I can see that. Um, I, I think for me, you know, looking back on it, we've done a lot, <laughs> uh, obviously, of relitigating of the Cubs winning the World Series. I, um, I think in particular, like some of our better conversations, you know, talking about like what was the biggest home run of that playoff run and reliving a lot of those moments. So we don't have to necessarily do that every single yeah. year on the anniversary. Corey, we've, we've done 600 hours of episodes since they won that World Series. 600 hours. Well, I don't like that but um <laughs> that's, that's psychotic dude the the one thing that stands out i guess on this particular anniversary is you know still and it, it's obvious but still just that grateful feeling that they actually did it and they actually won right because you know even yeah. as you're saying like of course we all wanted them to you know be a a dynasty quote unquote whatever that even means right people throw that word around a lot and it's you know sort of it gets lost in translation a little bit um, you know, you wanted them to win multiple championships or, you know, create this sort of just uh, s- pipeline of success that just sort of churned out over and over and over. Um, and of course, that's the case, right? But but even still, as we sit here, and, and I think, you know, going through, of course, uh, a, a pandemic on a, on a personal level, but, but, all, but more so from the sport and, you know, seeing baseball do a shortened season and not have any fans and, you know, watching the Dodgers have to sort of justify that their ring is real and not fake, <laughs> even though it's obviously fake, yeah. um, you know, stuff like that. And then, you know, getting to this past trade deadline and then just looking around at other teams and stuff and, you know, how many teams put together magical seasons and have magical runs and stuff like that. And it doesn't result in a World Series championship. I I still, 
even though it's you know it hasn't been too long but like to this day I, I my my number one feeling looking back is like you know thank god they won that game and they actually right, yeah. did it they won the title and you know they're any and, and you know you even look at um I mentioned the Dodgers, but, you know, also the Astros, right? Like, with with their cheating Mm -hmm. thing, like, you know, you've got two championships uh, in the last five that people would say have an asterisk next to them. For sure. And, you know, they would would, um, argue and and not be sure of, right? And, you know, the Cubs won. Nobody says anything about it. There's no, you know— if ands or buts, right? It it happened. It was legit. It was real. And you know, here we are, able to continue celebrating it uh, these years later. Yeah, is the fact that the Dodgers won the way they did after that sixty game season. Imagine if that were the Cubs, right? For us, and it's it's it is a little obvious. I'm sorry, but it is obvious to go through that type of short season and to win that World Series. It is anticlimactic, dude, to do it in an away stadium with like half the stadium being full. And to your point, it is an asterisk. So I'm grateful every day that the Cubs won the way they did. And not only did they just win the World Series like that, but we're talking about an historical finish. One of the best finishes in American sports history, dude. Like we are beyond lucky to have experienced that, especially I think for you and I, like at our current age, you know, like we, you know, there's older Cubs fans who went through way more, but to be able to fully dwell on that. I mean, you went to like every game that year, Corey, like that is, that's remarkable. People would have killed to have that type of experience and that will never go away. No matter how this era ended with Joe Madden and, and Theo and, and trading some core pieces away. Yeah, it sucks that that happened, but that current stretch, you know, from 15, 16, 17, even 18, you know, when they won 95 games, unparalleled. Like, we're never going to have that type of feeling, that type of novelty, because it never happened before. And for that, you you will always remember that. This will be the greatest era of your fandom, unless they win like back to back, you know, maybe back to back to back, then maybe that will supersede this. But for for now, this is it. Like we lived it. My grandpa would have would have given so much to have actually gone through something like this at my age, and I'm lucky. I think you're lucky too. Yeah, and you know, I that 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 was a a sort of random thing that happened to me i i had been working in in baseball operations um you know in the dodgers front office in early 2015 and you know kind of had to make some life decisions like do i want to keep doing this is this the the, mm. the path i want to be on etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know for for that summer 2015 i was just like you know look my you know i have season tickets like i'm just going to go enjoy being a cubs fan because when you work in baseball you you can't really do that right um and then, you know, in 2016, I, I got a different job, started a different career, but was still in Chicago and, and able to go to the games. And, you know, I was working remotely before people were doing that in the pandemic and stuff. And it's definitely something that um, I do not regret. Um, and yeah. I, I, I don't look back on and, and wonder if I made the right call, you know, career-wise and, and stuff like that, because it was just such an unbelievable experience. Um, and to be able to kind of go all in on it was was 
is something I'm I'm really really happy um, that it it played out that yeah. way, right? Like for so long, like you know, like my dream was to be Theo Epstein or now Jed Hoyer or whatever, right? And you know, there there was a long time where I wanted to do that, and you know, maybe if things had gone differently, I'd be in a different position. Um, but I don't really lament that very much because it was just such a, a the way things turned out was was really special. Um, and, you know, even just relating it back to, like, the trade deadline and the experience that we just had, and I think we all kind of feel this way. I, I And you mentioned Joe Madden, which is what made me think of this quote, um, but it, it reminds me of the quote from Andy from The Office in, in the finale uh, where he says, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left right. them. And when I the one thing that I'm really happy about, and I, I don't know how all of you feel listening. I don't, I, I think you would agree with me, Brendan. Um, and, and most of my Cubs fans friends, I think would agree with this sentiment. I, I did, I did know that those were the good old days when it was happening. Oh, like, no, I, I don't think no, that no. I took 2015 or 2016. I mean, even, even like 2017, like, I don't think I took that for granted. You know, no. I, I think that all of us waited so long for that. And I think like, you know, going back to like the chalk on the brick wall and and how many people were at the parade and how just vibrant and electric Wrigley Field was during those years. Like, I think we all knew that those were the good old days while we were living them. And, and I don't think we took that for granted. And, you know, we had visions of multiple championships and, you know, the, the, these guys playing with the Cubs until they were 50 years old and stuff like that. And it didn't pan out that way. But, I I think we all knew what was happening in the moment, and at least for me and and most of the people that I know, I I think we appreciated it and enjoyed it to the absolute fullest. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great point, right? Some some fans they get that World Series run, right? But to a degree, it is unexpected, and you don't realize how good it is like that season or that that lead up to winning the World Series. An example is like that National Series from a couple years ago. And even maybe the Braves this year, like losing Acuna and being below 500 right around the trade deadline. Like there's a lot of stress that preceded that type of win. But I feel as if for us as fans, it was such a long process, man. Starting in, you know, 2011 and the this, this slow rebuild and going, for me personally, some of those Arizona Fall League games and following the prospects and knowing like, hey, this is unique. We've never done this before. This, this is something worth following. And it did accumulate to that World Series win. It wasn't just a one-year season thing. Even after 2015, when they lost to the Mets in the NLCS, typically... In years past, in 2003, 2007, 2008, when the Cubs lost in the playoffs, I was a wreck. Like, I didn't want to see, I didn't want to watch any baseball. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to see anything with with a glove, baseball, nothing. But after they lost that 2015 NLCS, I went to an AFL game the very next night, literally the very next night to see Jimer Condelario. And that, that to me was different because it's, I still had optimism. Right, and that was the beauty about that type of era. Even when they lost, even when they won that World Series, it was our. It was always like, all right, we're still going to be here. There's still something special about this team, and yeah, they did not win more championships. That's, you know, it's it sucks they didn't do that, but they were competitive. They were fun. They were legends. You know, not to relate this to the 1985 Bears because they are different. I, I hate that comparison, but I bring it up just because. 
you know, you talk to my dad or even, you know, your your dad, Corey, same age. That championship is very special. That 1985 Super Bowl is very special because it brings back a lot of memories. And it's something that not a lot of fans get to experience. And for me, I just wanted one, like seriously, just to go through that type of process. And the way they went about it exceeded my expectations yeah. or visions. It truly did, man. Yeah, I agree. To win that game eight to seven in game seven, the way they did with all that drama, like you can coming back from three one, dude. I mean, like, come on, man. Like, it, it when could, I and I, any better. I remember I was talking to uh, friends of the podcast, Ryan Tomier and Jeff Everson. Double shout out there mm. um, the other night about this because uh, we were just sort of talking about like our Cubs psychosis and stuff like that. But I, I remembered, and I think we've told, you know, longtime listeners of this podcast this before, but I believe it was once the Cubs went down 3-1. You and I talked on the phone when I uh, <laughs> left game uh, four for, yeah. it, I think, like two and a half hours. I paced yeah, around, uh, at the time I was living just off Addison, and I paced around the neighborhood People must have thought I was nuts, um, and I am. They're not wrong, but um, I think it was like a two-hour and 45-minute phone call, and yeah. it was two people who probably shouldn't be the person to talk someone else off of the ledge, but doing that for one another. And I, I remember I was not— um, lacking confidence that they could win three straight games. But I remember expressing concern to you that, you know, now there's just no margin for error, right? Any sort of, uh, you know, misplay or, you know, a, a ball hitting a rock on the infield or just something stupid, right? Like they, they can't afford it, right? Even an accident, right. anything. They can't afford it because of the situation that they're in. And that's what concerned me. And I remember like you at the time, like kind of laying out the uh, probable pitchers, you know, here, Lester, then Arietta, then it would be Hendricks. Like they won a lot of games. They won three in a row a billion times during the regular season. And like, I don't want to say yeah. that you knew they were going to win. Cause like, I think when a team is down three to one, that's, you know, kind of a lot to say, but over the course of that nearly three-hour phone call, you know, I think we <laughs> we hung up on a note of like, all right, this is a bad spot, but this team is is the best team, and they can do it. And I yeah. I, I just was thinking about that phone call the other day, and uh, you know how quickly the game of baseball can kind of take you to the lowest of lows, um, and then you know flip you to quite literally the highest of highs. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, listen, talking about those probable pitchers, that that's a projection. Like deep down inside, I'm depressed at that moment, like thinking this is this is it. But there are scenarios like that in any situation, not even in that World Series, even in the current cup situation where weird stuff happens and it's not out of the realm of possibility in 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 this sport. And the fact that the Cubs did that and he come back three from from down one three in a series, that just should validate that even in our current situation, there is still light at the end of the tunnel that may be seen sooner rather than later. Right, that's the beauty about this sport. Ironically, in the current moment, it sucks. Right, even when the Cubs blew that 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 six three lead 
and Chapman gave up the home run to Davis. I, I was dead, dude. Like, it, I, I truly thought, I can't follow this team anymore. This is just not, this is just not good for my mentality. Like, I spend too much time watching this team. I can't do this emotionally anymore. That's the lowest of lows you get. But within a matter of 30 you know, minutes to an hour, then, then look what happened. To your point, you have so many lows, so many highs, and that's just the nature of this sport, man. Nothing is expected. Like you really, truly cannot expect a certainty in this sport. If that were the case, the Dodgers would not have won this fake World Series. You know, in the past decade, they would have been and, and accomplished more of their goals and won more. But this is how the sport works, Corey. Yeah. So I mean, I think we, you know, again, like we could. We could and have talked about this for hours and hours and hours. And, you know, as the the offseason rolls on, especially, you know, if there's like a labor stoppage or something like that, we can (laughs) wax poetic about the Cubs winning the World Series forever. Uh, But we do have some other stuff to talk about. So I'll I'll just like, you know, as as a point of of leaving off, um, I always enjoy November 2nd. Um, and reliving the highlights and sharing, you know, the memories on Twitter and stuff like that. Um, and I hope you do too. Like, I, I know some people, you know, don't want to live in the past, right? And they they want, the, you know, the team to be moving forward and stuff like that. But I think we can do both, right? And I think the oh, Cubs yeah. are, are doing things to move in that direction. Maybe not at the pace we want, maybe at the pace we want. We're going to find out soon. Um, but I think we can do both. And the that night, uh, five years ago now was just incredibly special to so many people, uh, myself yeah. and Brendan included. Uh, I I will be indulging in celebrating the anniversary until I'm dead, and I think you're the same, Brendan. Um, and so Amen. I would encourage you uh, to do the same. You know, every time, like I put out a tweet the other day about, you know, going to game five with my parents and being able to go with my grandma, who was a season ticket holder back in the 60s, um, and who, you know, legitimately was one of those people who was like, I'm probably going to die before the Cubs ever win a World Series. Like, I'm not going to see this. And, you know, I had I had several people, like, share similar photos, you know, of them at game five or, or one of the games at Wrigley Field, um, you know, with, with their parents or their grandparents or their children and stuff like that. It's just, it's like, a, it's it's a really special thing. And so um, I, I have uh, no shame in living in the past is, is basically what I'm saying. It was uh, incredibly special. We waited a lifetime for it. Brennan and I, not quite as long of a lifetime as, as many of you probably or, or, or many Cubs fans out there. Um, but yeah, celebrate away. It's yeah. it's uh, as much a holiday as as pretty much anything else. So, but it's not like it's not like necessarily living in the past. Like, it, of course, it happened five years ago. But that that's something that is a connection. It transcends point. time. It, it does, yeah. man. I'm being like I'm being serious. Yeah, no, in, me too. In, in Chicago and Wrigleyville, it's like like this community right now. This is the only community to have experienced that. And it, the long-lasting implications of that will extend, you know, decades from now, Corey. So it's, it's yeah. kind of in the past, but not necessarily. Yeah. So anyway, uh, as you're listening to this on November 2nd, it is the five-year anniversary of the Cubs winning the World Series. People forget that. So we have to remind them. Anyway, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the current World Series. Um, and the, the first place you know, really, I, I, I want to talk about the current World Series um, because I do think, as the name of this podcast implies, there there is some stuff going on that is Cubs-related or mm. could be Cubs-related, right? And and the, the stuff that really jumps out to me, Brendan, is one, 
just Atlanta's being here, and as we're recording this, uh, one game away from winning the World Series, although I got to tell you, hitting a grand slam in the first inning at home in a game you can clinch the World Series and then <laughs> right. losing, not great. Doesn't bode well. Uh, you know, I'm just saying, not great. You really got to win that game. Um, but, you know, you have a team that, that didn't win 90 games. You have a team that had their their best player, one of their best player. I don't, you know, I, I Acuna's probably their best player. Depends on, you know, where Freeman's hitting at the time. Oh, stuff dude, like that. Acuna's for sure their okay, best player. Okay, fine, right? Yeah. All right. I'm not a Braves fan. Give me a break. Um, <laughs> you know, they lose their best player. They make a bunch of trades at the trade deadline. You know, they, they didn't get to, uh, you know, a level they wanted to be at until literally September, right? Um, before they really, like, had that season turned around. Uh, and I, I think that they're just a, a good example. Now, they have part of a core that's been there for a little while, you know, Acuna, Albies, Freeman, and some of those other guys that, that are not new to this necessarily. But I think that they represent a good example when we talk about going into 2021, right? We looked at this Cubs roster and we said, we don't expect them to be elite, right? They're not a juggernaut, don't really know what to expect. They didn't address certain things in the offseason, but they can compete, right? They can compete in this division and maybe get their way into the playoffs. And when we look at 2022, it's going to be a different roster, but you're kind of getting that same kind of vibe, right? Like, can they just put a team on the field that's competitive, right? And this is why you want them to do that is really what I'm getting to, right? Like the Dodgers are not going to be the team that wins this World Series. The Giants, who won 107 games, are not going to be the team that wins this World Series. The Rays, who have won 100-plus games and, you know, found themselves as the the kind of team du jour in, in Major League Baseball because of what they do with their limited resources and, and winning that insane division and, you know, getting there, they're not going to win the World Series, right? Some of the big budget teams, New York, Boston, they're not going to win the World Series, right? And I, I think that this Atlanta team is just a good example of why you want to just compete. You can make things happen, right? If you get hot at the right time, if you have the right guys, if you get a couple of, you know, flyer type performances that break your way, you can win the World Series. And it's just a bit of a contrast from other sports, Brendan. Like, you know, the NBA has a lot less parity, or it, it, it did for a long time, right? You know, that's why you saw Jordan win with the Bulls all the time. The Lakers win all the time. LeBron win all the time. The Warriors win all the time. It's very hard to win in other sports if you're not actually the best team, right? It doesn't work that way in baseball. You can get there. And it's not to say that you don't want the Cubs to build themselves into a juggernaut, right? But if you're not there yet with where your prospect, you know, timing is and that cycle and all that stuff, it's okay. You still want to try to be competitive because you see it happening with a team here like the Braves. Yeah, the sport has changed so much too in the last five years, even since the Cubs last won that World Series, where my perception is there is even more uncertainty than what we're used to having grown up in baseball in the late 90s and early 2000s and and then uh you know with the cubs winning the world series it's a different sport i mean going through the depth charts and just watching these games it's like all right well there's drew smiley there 
is uh, Kendall Graveman. There is Tyler Masek. Like some of those guys used to play for the Cubs, and you have some guys who were not even in the sport three years ago. And Jesse Chavez, another former Cub. And these are integral parts of these teams. And to some degree, they did come out of nowhere. And that's because you have this new age type of optimization development system with pitching and and hitting is, is catching up and everything. It's all to say, you can't accurately project where you're going to be in a year or two years. So that might be unsettling. It might be encouraging depending who you are as a person. But given where we are now with the Cubs and their current situation, I find that encouraging. You see what they did, the Cubs, with that bullpen last year. You see what they did with their with their swing-type starters for Keegan Thompson and Justin Steele and Alec Mills. And it's very easy to envision that type of role being valuable in a playoff shortened series. And even more so if you can go out this offseason and complement that staff with maybe some more reliable starters if you want to go that route. And maybe you don't want to go that route. Maybe you just want to acquire as much pitching talent as possible and kind of make it work through the season. Because the way the Astros have done this, the way the Braves are navigating this playoff run. I mean, you're seeing like Ian Anderson only go four or five innings. Right. And then you're you're seeing Tyler Masick on a day-to-day basis. Corey, he was not pitching like two or three years ago. Like this is the type of baseball we're experiencing yeah. now. Well, and even um, th- that was the other, you know, point. So I'm glad you brought us there of, of you know, watching this World Series of what I think, you know, is kind of Cubs related is, you know, you're watching a World Series where there's like, no prominent starters, right? Like it, yeah. it, it would have been Max Freed, but he hasn't been that good in these playoffs. So, um, you know, you even go back the round, like the Dodgers had to do this too because of injuries. You know, they were having bullpen games and and stuff like that, and and that's a team that obviously had you know better laid plans for for how they got in the playoffs. Well, even the Nationals too, two years ago, they were just using their guys three innings, four innings at a time. Scherzer, Corbin, those guys, right? And it, so it it is, um, you know, it, it's it's a point that's being discussed a lot, you know, with where the game is, especially Ian Anderson being taken out the other night. Um, you know, while he was throwing a no hitter. Uh, but I, I think, you know, for me, I'm for, firstly, I'm all about whatever you have to do to win the game. I don't care how you get there. Right. I can assure you th- this is one thing, just going back a second to the Cubs winning the world series, you know, something that I could, I could not care less about Brendan, <laughs> that Joe Madden took Kyle Hendricks out of that game. Yeah. And you know why I don't care? Because the Cubs won, won the world series. I don't care how they won that game. I don't care to relitigate it. They won. He did what he wanted to do to win. They won. There you go, right? So I don't care how you get there. You could use 500 pitchers if you felt like it. It doesn't matter to me as long as you're getting the outs, right? So it's just interesting, though. You're watching this, and everybody's just kind of piecing it together, the Astros and the Braves. Like, how do we get the next three outs, and we'll go from there, basically? And so it does sort of you know, make you take a look like at the Cubs roster and and you brought up some of these guys, but even if you don't end up feeling like, yeah, we found a, you know, number two starter or a number three starter and someone who's reliably going to go seven innings every outing for us in Justin Steele or Keegan Thompson or Alec Mills or, you know, even some of the other guys they tried, Corey Abbott, et cetera. Mm. Did you find somebody that can give you a few innings though? 
right? right? And and not necessarily right. just be a traditional reliever that is coming in for a few outs or something like that. Did you find somebody who can be more of a bridge, a, a swing guy, a spot start, even if it doesn't last that long, right? Because this is how it's going down in the playoffs lately. You know, it's it's obviously easier. Uh, and I think the goal in a lot of ways to have guys like John Lester, right, who you are riding and who's that bulldog you throw out there, you expect him to deliver you a quality start in the playoffs, right? Like, yeah, that's a much easier roadmap, but those guys are becoming less and less frequent, right? And what is becoming more and more frequent is guys that are kind of more like weapons. And it, it it makes you think a little bit of Jed Hoyer, the way that he talked about Braylon Marquez, for example, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of the interviews that he's done. And I think he's used the word pitching weapon specifically when talking about Braylon. And it's like, I think what he's talking about is what you're seeing in this World Series. Like, I don't know if the health or the durability or all of that is going to come together for him to be a top-of-the-line starter, putting up those traditional starter numbers. But can he be a valuable piece of a pitching staff is a different question, but maybe one that's equally as important. Right. It's I've seen... Ken Rosenthal tweeted this out, and it's been echoed by respectable people in, in baseball that the way that these teams are handling their pitchers is a net negative I hated for the that. sport. Yeah, I, I thought about that. My first reaction was exactly that. I hated this. Like it seems like so old school, and I understand where they're coming from. Like I, I date myself back. The Randy Johnsons, and even more recently with Madison Bumgarner doing what he did against the Royals. It's like, yeah, those guys had historical performances that will go down in the record books. But what are we really losing here? Like, like really, what are we losing? Can we date back every single World Series to this historical pitching performance? Absolutely not. What's important is the excitement, is the engagement. And we can make an argument about the length of time of the games, of course. But I don't think that is narrowly focused on not having starting pitchers in this World Series. I don't think that's a big deal. And even going further back decades, like Mariano Rivera and, and these closers and everything, they go in one inning spurts. You may get more of those types of situations with these types of like fireman type relievers. Tyler Massick is a great example. If this type of style of play uh, did not exist, Tyler Massick would not have the story, dude. Mm-hmm. He's going multiple innings. Yeah. And that's been the highlight of this World Series. I think it's a great story. I will remember this. So I don't really buy that argument per se. I hated that, man. Uh, yeah, I, I I came away with hating it too. I did think about it because when, like, Ken Rosenthal is a respectable figure, of course. man. Like he, yeah. And it's like, all right, like, what am I missing here? And uh, yeah, I came away with not liking that. Well, and I, and I think like, I think there's a larger conversation, right, about what is the most entertaining, what gets the most eyes, what is, you know, overall best for the growth of the game and stuff like that. And, and I think those conversations are all necessary and relevant and, and deserve their space. But like, 
to wake up the day after the Braves, th- this was the game that uh, Ian Anderson pitched where the Braves went up two to one in the series, right? At home, mm. as a fan of, you know, not invested in the game, I don't care really who wins. I, I prefer Atlanta. I have friends from Atlanta. I don't like Houston, but I don't actually have a vested interest. I thought it was a great game. It was a two to nothing game. It was very exciting. It was, you know, the crowd was was into it. It was a very exciting, well played baseball game. And you wake up the next day and like all these national writers are like, this is the problem with Major League Baseball. And I'm like, this is the problem with Major League Baseball is that I just watched a really fun and exciting World Series game and you're all complaining about it and talking about how it's everything that's wrong with baseball. And, you know, you look at it too, like why isn't the story that Ian Anderson gave you all that he had and the pitching staff came together, right? Like, it, it it's 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 a more interesting story. It's maybe more exciting if Zach Davies had thrown a no hitter by himself, right? But when you think back to that night, what did we all do on Cubs Twitter and as as a group of Cubs fans? We celebrated the pitching staff, and it was mm-hmm. such a cool story that like Kimbrel didn't know it was happening, right? And then watching the four of them get together uh, and celebrate and have champagne and, and have this moment together. Like that was cool. It, it maybe isn't as exciting or unique when it's one person. It feels more special. I think when it's one person, but that was still fun. And there was still a way to celebrate it and say, Hey, this is something cool that the Cubs pitching staff did. And, you know, you remember at the time how good that trio had been to para Chafin and Kimbrell. And it felt like, yeah, this is kind of like a culmination moment of that. Like, they deserve this. And so, like I said, to me, win the game however you want. You want to bring in as many pitchers as you want, do it. I don't care. As long as you're doing what you think you can to win the game, I think that's what you got to be doing. But I do think that all these teams, the Cubs included, you know, ought to be paying attention to what's going on in this World Series because these are the last two teams left. One of them is going to win a championship, and they're not going to do it on the strength of their starting pitching, right? And that doesn't mean you you move away from that. You know, you don't have an interest in that. You don't develop that. I, I don't think that's the takeaway. I think the takeaway is you have to be prepared for stuff like this. You have to be prepared for a, a different style of baseball. Well, you know, it's possible. It's possible to win championships with this style of play. It's different than 2015 through 2018. Once the Nationals did what they did, and I always I bring this up a lot, right? I always bring up that 2019 Nationals World Series. It's just because for years on fan graphs and baseball prospectus and the hardball times, you heard about this crazy theoretical idea where you have these three to four inning starters and they piggyback off one another. They did it, dude. The Nationals, Dave Martinez, they did it. And that can be a negative if you think as a fan, that's fine. But now here we are. This is the reality of baseball. As you're you're talking about Ian Anderson and the way that the Braves are utilizing their bullpen, I'm thinking of Alzali. That to me pops out right away because for Alzali, can you imagine if he's maxing out three to four innings with that slider, with that sinker, that four seam, that plays up, dude. And we saw Keegan Thompson play up with those pitches. And as much as I kind of get into the weeds of, you know, what's their third and fourth pitch? Can they go through the order three times? You know, I'm biased. I grew up in this era of baseball where that was important. I don't know what's important maybe anymore, 
right, man? Like, that's how fast this game is changing. And it's, it's fascinating to follow because we could be in a situation in the next year, in the next two years, where Keegan Thompson and Braylon Marquez and Justin Steele and Alec Mills and all these guys we've talked about are being used in roles that are not expected, that are, that are roles that I and you did not envision. And our conversations for hours about what they're doing, what they're developing, you know, the fifth, sixth, any type scenarios are not relevant anymore. And is that a bad thing for baseball? I don't really think it is. I think you can make the argument that there's, it's a good thing for baseball to get more personalities in the game. Now, the length to change your pitcher may, not, may, may have to be changed, like the timing of that. And I think it will with the pitch clock and everything. That's confounding, I believe, some of the negative uh, interpretations of having these like you know rapid bullpen games. But back to the point, you don't know what to expect man like this is how the sport's going i feel as if the cubs are in position to make the best of this new style of play given who they currently have in their pitching system yeah again i i just think you know every season's different every team is different um but i do think that there's some stuff in this world series especially and you know looking back at this season that you know, I think you can you can really take some stuff from, um, yeah. you know, and, and this Braves team has been good. And, you know, it's it's sort of another one of those examples of a team that, you know, maybe is going to win a championship in not the year you expect it, but with some of the guys you expect. Like the, the Braves have had better years than this, where they've won more games. They've been, you know, a more runaway winner of the division and stuff like that. And, you know, of course it would be this year, right? Um, with with a, a sort of mishmash of guys they got um you know from the Cubs and Marlins like at the at the trade deadline um but I I I do just think it's a good example of like it's it's not always the juggernauts it's not always the teams spending the most money it's it's not always the teams you know you you hear so often during the regular season like especially when you're at the trade deadline I'm sure the Braves heard this I'm sure there was articles written about this you know is it really worth it for the Braves, you know, if they're under 500 to make these trades, to try to go for it? Like, can they really compete with the Dodgers in the playoffs? Can they compete with the Giants in the playoffs? These teams well, that are going to win 100 plus games. I said that. I, th- I swear to God, I think I said that maybe in, in, in private conversations to you, but it's like, uh, you know, I don't know if I would have traded that for Jock mm-hmm. Peterson, man. Like, Jock Peterson right. is sucking this year. And now look what happened. Right. And, 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 it, and the ultimate answer is yes. They can compete <laughs> right. with those teams in the playoffs because, again, it, this is not other sports. Anything happens in the baseball playoffs. And in recent years, you know, especially like I think starting with the Cubs, maybe you count the Royals in there too, perhaps, because they had been there the year before. Like it it often is. It has been the best team that won. But we've just seen it recently and, and throughout history too where it is possible for a team to sneak in there, get hot at the right time, and, you know, mess some stuff up in those playoffs. So it's all just to say I think it's worth it to go for it. In other sports, it, it doesn't make sense to kind of be more towards the middle, if that makes sense. And that's not always true in baseball. Like, if you can get in and get a ticket to the dance, you can make stuff happen, right? It can pay off for you. So um, want to stick with kind of what the Cubs are doing in that regard. Um, and I, as we're recording this on Monday night at about 9.15 in Chicago, I don't think this is official yet, uh, but it's a report coming from The Athletic, uh, Patrick Mooney, 
Uh, so, you know, this is going to happen uh, with, with him and Sahadev Sharma reporting this together, uh, that the Cubs are going to hire Greg Brown, who has served as Tampa Bay's minor league hitting coordinator. He was also previously an area scout uh, that was responsible for signing Kike Hernandez and J.D. Martinez as part of the 2009 Houston draft class. Um, he's going to be the Cubs' new hitting coach. So the Cubs have had a ton of hitting coaches in this last kind of stretch of baseball. So this is yet another attempt at this. Um, so Brendan, I, you know, I know you're, you're just learning of this and I, you know, I don't know if you have super strong opinions on minor league hitting coordinators from other organizations. <laughs> um, but you know, just generally, how do you feel about this move? Um, and you know, what would you look forward to in terms of a new hitting coach? And I ask you in particular, because you were never a big fan, I don't think of Anthony Iaposi. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing with the hitting coaches, you don't know what they do on a detailed level. So there, there's a there's a degree of uncertainty. Don't, don't they that, just sit in the dugout and say, hey, like, go hit a home run? Is that how it works? Well, that's what I thought, yeah. right? Like, yeah, you just, you know, hold up two fingers, home mm-hmm. run, one finger, single. Yeah. <laughs> but but for, for Iaposi, the reason that I was like, I don't know about him was just because we didn't see a lot of the core guys make those long-lasting changes like like Schwarber did it this year finally right like now all of a sudden he was hitting high fastballs but Iaposi was there when Schwarber was in the minor leagues right and a lot of the issues we saw throughout the entire system seemed to have occurred when Iaposi was part of that developmental process so I was I was agnostic to him but I trended towards not wanting him just because I wanted something different and this is what is different this is exactly what i think i would want and that's again a a degree of uncertainty because you don't know what these guys do but you see the type of thinking process going on for one this guy of course comes from a respectable organization who is ahead of the curve for the past like 15 years and he has that scouting type of background that seems unique to me that screams uh that's that screams rare you don't really hear about hitting coaches having that type of background so i'm curious what that means how does that play out how does that play out with Justin Stone's hitting infrastructure that we have not heard that much about. We've heard about Rachel Folden and Justin Stone, but I don't understand how they can implement that from an organizational type flow. And for the pitching development, we we kind of know. We know about the pitch lab. We know about like the South Bend uh, COVID effects with the sinkers and all that. That seems to be a little bit more aware for, for me and for general fans. But for hitting, we don't know like what's going on. And I feel as if having this type of hire is going to give us more of like a peek behind the curtains, if you will, and it is unique. So I like, of course, like, how am I going to hate this? Like, I don't really know anything about this, but I like the general direction and it's quite a different direction than what we're used to with the Chili Davises, the Anthony Iaposis, and the John Malleys. And no, that's not to dig them whatsoever, but you've never heard a Cubs hitting coach having a scouting background coming from an organization that is so highly respected. 
Yeah, I I think, you know, again, it, it's always hard to have super strong opinions on this other than kind of what we can see at a surface level. You know, I think firstly, like obviously the Rays have had a lot of success, you know, developing uh, young players in their minor league system, graduating them to the major leagues and getting them to contribute. So that's obviously a good sign. Um, and I, I think, you know, you look at this in conjunction with Carter Hawkins, uh, the Cubs bringing in Esan Bakari uh, to be their assistant GM uh, from yep. the Houston organization. Like, they're adding guys from successful teams, teams that have shown that they have, in at least some ways, you know, progressive ways of thinking, um, you know, kind of trying to be at the forefront of the different, you know, and changing paradigms of Major League Baseball and how to build teams, how to succeed and things like that. Um, and, you know, it, it, it sort of just takes me back to when the Cubs promoted Jed to be the president and, you know, when Theo stepped down and all of that. And I remember, um, the one thing I think I said on here that was, I, I didn't really care how they went about all of this, but what I didn't want was Jed and Jason McLeod to be at the top, right? And that wasn't... And we didn't know, we didn't know that was going to be the case at the time too, right? Like I think there was a brief moment, maybe like maybe private conversations where it seemed like, I don't even know if I want Jed to take over because I want something completely different. Right. And it seems as if they're doing like a mix and match of yes, both. Yes, right. So like. so obviously Jed it, it did get it. And, you know, I, I think he's done a good job. I, I don't necessarily, you know, he's obviously in a tough spot in a lot of ways. So I, I think he's done a good job given the circumstances. Um, you know, jury's still out, I guess, on that. It's early in yeah. his tenure. Um, but I, I bring that up because just like you said, Brendan, they're, they're doing a mix, which is fine. Right. What I, but the reason I, I said that at the time was not because Jed and Jason had not done some good work and, and hadn't sort of earned their stripes in the Cubs organization and stuff like that. Um, but it just was more of the same. Right. And if Theo's moving on, mm-hmm. the organization should move on in some respects as well. Jed is his own person. He's certainly shown, I think, even early on that he's a very different person than Theo and has some different philosophies. Um, and, you know, I just wanted them to get some outside vision, right? Someone who has not just been in the Cubs front office and, and kind of thinking the Cubs way for all this time. And, you know, obviously the hitting coach is just one part of that. Uh, but when you combine that with, like I said, you have a, a GM now coming from Cleveland, you have an assistant GM coming from Houston, you've got a hitting coach coming from Tampa. And, you know, that goes to what we're talking about with Iaposi. Iaposi had connections to the organization, to John Malley, right? And it was more of the same. And this, a lot of that had a lot of success, right? We were just talking about a World Series championship that a lot of these ideas and people brought to the Chicago Cubs, but that was five years ago. And things change, the game changes. And I, so what the, the, the point I'm making here is all I can say now without seeing these guys do any work and having worked with them or, you know, really knowing what all is going on behind the scenes. I'm very pleased from the outside that they're bringing in a lot of different perspectives, some new eyes, and they're getting them from organizations that have proven success in the yeah. areas they're asking these guys to work in, right? Yeah, and they're, com- they're coming from unorthodox upbringings. Like even Carter Hawkins was with the Indians for 14 years, right? Like he worked his way up to get to this point and he did so in a role that was more behind the scenes. And even with the new hitting coach and the new assistant GM, very similar type upbringings. And 
for years, you know, we kind of wondered, more so the last three years, like, what would that do to this team? What would that result in from an actual player acquisition point of view and drafting point of view? And we're going to get that answer in the next two to three years, like with Dan Kantrovitz and everyone. These are guys from outside the system. This is not your Theo-type-esque familiarity. And not to say that was the wrong way about doing it. Of course it wasn't. They won that World Series. But this is a new way of managing your organization. So at the very least, I'm not sure it's going to work out, right? It's, it's in, in this sport, in any in any for any team you don't know what really your success for all these moves are going to bring but it's going to be interesting right it's, it's going to provide more insight about the you know the future and what to do next and at the very least you know that this is an orthodox way of going about it and I, i'll appreciate that like i'm going to be following the hitting development more closely and trying to find clues of what's going on and from the drafting point of view we already kind of know what's going on more high ceiling guys getting pitchers who were throwing the upper 90s that was not the case five six years ago you're seeing it right we just haven't seen those nuggets for the hitting and perhaps we're going to see that and like i want to know more about like why nelson velasquez all of a sudden is killing the AFL. What changes did he make? Is that a result of Justin Stone and that type of technology he's implemented? I don't know. We don't have those answers yet, but maybe we'll have a better idea of what's going on once we get more of these unfamiliar, unorthodox approaches at the big league level. Yeah. And, you know, so the the last thing on this, and then I, I do uh, want to just touch on Nelson Velasquez, actually, because uh, we didn't get to talk with him, uh, talk about him with Brian Smith last week. Um, there, these were extreme worries, right? I don't know that they were necessarily things that a lot of, uh, too many people were concerned about, but it, it was thrown out there in some circles, right? That, you know, with what was going on in the Cubs organization, kind of tearing things down, starting over, whatever you want to call it, right? Like, would they still be a destination for coaches or front office executives or players, right? Um, And, you know, I think the answer was always obviously yes, right? They're the Chicago Cubs, right? So again, like I said, this was not necessarily a predominant thought, but what does sort of come to mind when you see the Cubs poaching a lot of these organizations, good organizations, successful organizations for the most part. Um, when you see this, it is just a reminder, like, I think that, like, Jed is, again, working within some constraints, but I think as we've said before, it really seems like he has a strong vision and other people are buying into that, right? Like, as you said, Brennan, like Carter Hawkins worked in Cleveland for a long time and he left to come to Chicago, right? In a promotion, but he still left the place that he knew and had grown and developed to come somewhere else and get this opportunity, right? You have uh, Brown now leaving the Rays in a job that he's had in an organization that he's been with, in an organization that is very good, right, to come and do this with the Cubs and take this opportunity. And I, I know that in a lot of cases it's promotions, and so it's like, yeah, of course they're taking it. Go look at the Mets, everybody. We talked about this, I think, last week or two weeks ago. There, I mean, Jeff Passan or John Heyman or somebody tweets out 
once a week, if not more than that, somebody from some organization that is turning down what would be a huge promotion because they don't want to go work for the Mets, right? So this is not the case everywhere. This is not something that happens everywhere. Like the Cubs are still a destination for people that want to work in the game of baseball and want to advance their careers. And I think that that speaks to whatever Jed is telling them, right? Like there, there must be some buy-in to what he is telling them. And I, I can tell you, like, it does sort of make me intrigued about what we're going to see in terms of like the budget and free agent spending and stuff like that. Because like, Brendan, like call me crazy, right? But like if Jed is talking to Carter Hawkins and he says, yeah, so here's the deal, man. Like we don't have any money, right? Like some people are scared of. I don't think Carter Hawkins takes that job, right? Maybe he does, but like, I don't know. I, I, there's something about all of this that, that makes me think some of that stuff is not as dire as some would have you believe. That's, that's all I mean. Cause like, I, I don't know. It just seems like it's clearly an attractive place for some of, you know, the rising star, you know, rising stars, but like rising people in the game of baseball. And I think that speaks to the message that Jed is putting out there when he's talking to these folks. Um, but, as, as we're approaching an hour here, I, I do just want to touch on Nelson Velasquez because he has been just going off um, in the Arizona Fall League. Um, his OPS in the Arizona Fall League is up to 1332, which is insane. And look, it's the Arizona Fall League, right? Uh, but he's now the highest OPS guy in the league. There's obviously a lot of very talented prospects that go out and, and play in this league in the fall. Um, so, you know, Brennan, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this or anything to impart on us on, on Velasquez, but I did just want to touch on it because we touched on a ton of names uh, with Brian Smith, but but he, he had, Nelson had kind of continued uh, throughout that week afterward to kind of make this like, okay, something is really happening here and we just didn't get a chance to touch on it. Yeah, I Nelson Velasquez. I remember when the Cubs first got him. I was I was excited about him because he was a bigger guy, had power potential. And then from 2017, when we ultimately drafted him, up until this point, there were some struggles that, in the back of my mind, made me not forget about Nelson Velasquez, but not emphasize his future. And that, that of course, was the wrong way of thinking, right? He's still 22 years old. And going through, for example, his Fangraphs page, and you see what has changed. What has changed this year was that from high A to double A in Tennessee, all of a sudden, he stopped striking out. Like in high A in 2021 this season, he had 288 plate appearances, but he struck out in 34% of those. And he didn't really walk that much, 7% of those. And yeah, he had like 12 home runs and that 288 plate appearance sample. That's respectable. But all of a sudden, he goes to Tennessee and he cuts down that strikeout rate from 34% to 25% in 137 plate appearances while maintaining that power, hitting eight home home runs in that sample. That signals something happened. Like what? Like what is going on here? And then he continued that in the AFL, where as you pointed out, he's going to have the most gaudy line of any hitter in the AFL, and that includes all those top prospects. Nelson Velasquez, the Chicago Cubs prospect, is going to come out of the AFL with the best offensive numbers 
Corey. That is an insane accomplishment. So, yeah, we didn't get to talk with him, but with, with Brian Smith of Bleacher Nation, but in my mind, like four weeks ago, Velasquez was not on my radar. I didn't realize he made those adjustments in Tennessee this year. I don't know what this means for his future. And I think as we talk to more people who follow prospects as the season, as the offseason goes along, maybe there will be a clear idea. But he had success in double A, a lot of success in a not small sample. And he's having success in the AFL, continuing that against some pretty good competition. What does that mean for 2022? Like I have no idea, but what I do know is given how the Cubs have had their prospects succeed in A, they're knocking on the door in Wrigley Field, man. That's typically what happens. Is Nelson Velasquez going to be a, a, a feature of this big league club next year? I mean, the odds are probably not, but it's a discussion we're going to have. Like we're talking about it right now, and we never had an expectation this would be the case four or five weeks ago. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's that's really what it is. I mean, look, I, like I, th- you know, I think you you kind of put it this way, but any any time you have uh, the guy who is gonna you know potentially lead the Arizona Fall League in OPS, it's better than not having the guy, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. leading the Arizona Fall League in OPS, right? So uh, you right. know, it's 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 been I, he's definitely a name I've heard before, but not, not yeah. like this. Like he's well, he sneaked he sneaked around. Like you heard about him early on in 2017, 2018, but like the numbers didn't really match the initial hype, and that was an error given the age. Right. Yeah. And you know, you just you know, looking at a lot of the the prospect guys on Cubs Twitter that we've talked about, you know, they're they're clearly kind of reaching that point where they're like, look, I'm buying into this. Like, I, I'm not yeah. sure exactly what's happening here, but I'm in. I'm 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 buying in. Like, let's go. Um. So, did just want to uh, make sure that we gave Nelson his his due here because he certainly earned it. Um, and I think that's that's what we have for you. Um, so like like we said at the beginning, this this is it. The next time we talk to you, it'll be the off season. You know, there's obviously a lot that has to be uh, taken care of. You're you're starting to see more of those. Is a work stoppage coming? Is there going to be a delay in the MLB? You know, so prepare yourself for that. I I don't have the answer for that. Um, you know, those conversations can be very contentious between the league and the players' association. Uh, we just kind of have to hope that they figure it out. And I think as we've said before that, you know, the, the players and especially minor league players are, are, are getting their, their, their justice in all of this. Um, but we'll see, we'll see where that goes. Obviously that does affect, you know, what the Cubs are going to do, how all of this plays out. But at least once we speak next time, you know, there will be a new world series champion and it will be time to, to flip the page to, uh, you know, getting ready for, um, you know, arbitration and tendering contracts and, and getting, uh, you know, ready for that free agent pool. So that is uh, something to look forward to. And in the meantime, please enjoy uh, your November 2nd holiday celebrations. Um, again, remembering the Cubs winning the World Series five years ago. So uh, with that, as always, we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs-related podcast. If you have not done so and can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate that. Uh, we're not sure how it helps, but it does. And other than that, we will talk to you guys next week uh, when we are officially in the off season. We made it, y'all. We, we finally got there. So uh, enjoy your November 2nd celebrations. We'll talk to you soon. And as always, go Cubs.